Hey, good morning. It's really good to have you with us this morning. And um, we're, we're going to be talking about freedom this morning. And as, a, as your pastor, I've been really praying that our congregation would literally understand what they have been set free from. And, and the work of Christ in their life. So I've really prayed that for you as I've prepared. I think that's something we struggle with because a lot of us have grown up uh, with religion around us and we've rebelled against this concept of being enslaved by religious rules and regulations and we want this freedom and we love Jesus, but so many times we don't necessarily love people who've made Jesus into... Um, you know, someone who would just dominate and destroy our lives. And so when we talk about this, uh, it's at an appropriate weekend because it's Memorial Day, right? And we, we understand that there was, a, there was a sacrifice that has been made for freedom in our own country. And so in the American experience, we can relate to this. I hear stories all the time. I've heard stories growing up. I had an Uncle Charlie, a great Uncle Charlie, who served in World War I. And I remember walking through his home when I was a little boy of seven years old. And I saw a picture of him when he was 18 years of age. And he fought in World War I. And the picture frame of his was cracked. And the glass was cracked that held the picture. And being a curious seven-year-old, I said, what happened? Why is that still up? It's all cracked. And my grandmother said, well, Joey... Um, Uncle Charlie, when he was fighting in World War II, that frame, that picture fell off the wall. And on the day it fell off the wall, your Uncle Charlie was shot. And uh, that's why Uncle Charlie walks with a limp. And so I, I just remember, wow, that's, that's an awesome story. And then I remember serving in a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I met a man there named Bill Allen. And Bill Allen served in World War II. He made six amphibious landings with the Marines in World War II um, against Japanese forces. And uh, on one of them, his sergeant called him back to get an order. So he turned and he was bobbing in the water and they were taking on machine gun fire. And he turned and went back, received the order, and the guy who filled his place was shot in the head. And he said, you know, he shared in his testimony just... How each time he was in God's hand, he learned to trust his life in God's hand. And I remember just spending time with Bill, there was this, this honor that a man would risk his life to protect the freedoms we have as a country. My father-in-law, J.R. Smith, served uh, in the Pacific during the Korean War. And uh, he, he visually uh, saw the test of the hydrogen bomb in the, physical, in, in the um, Pacific in the Pacific Ocean. And when that bomb went off and they saw the mushroom cloud and they saw the, the blast and they had to cover their eyes to not have their eyes and the retinas uh, burned by that, they all had a holy fear that they would never, they, they kind of had this picture, we hope we never have to use this weapon against anything in this world. And then... I met a man named Roger Ingvalson who served in Vietnam. And Roger was a pilot. And as Roger was doing a bombing run there, he pulled up and was shot down um, by the, the Viet Cong and um, parachuted into a rice paddy and um, was captured. And for seven years was uh, at the Hanoi Hilton with um, now uh, Senator John McCain. And he was uh, beaten 
he fashioned out of the corner of his prison clothes an American flag. He just did, you know, put blood for the stripes. And he would hold it up every night, and all the prisoners with him would say the pledge to the flag. Um, They only called him in to talk to him when bad news was there. And while he was in prison there, his wife died back here in the States. And they told him that news and then sent him back in. But there was, again, a sense of honor for Roger, a man who served this country and was in captivity for seven years as political bait. And I honor that. And even as I look out here, I know some of you have served in the Gulf War and served in Afghanistan and served in Iraq. And um, we thank you as a congregation. And we want to remember your sacrifice because you point us to the greater sacrifice for all of us that has been given us and really set our souls free. And that's this side of the cross. You see that the cross was when Jesus got up and and died for us and sacrificed his life so that we could be set free from the wrath of God, the power of sin and death, and everything God wants to give us in a life with him. It's not religious slavery. It's spiritual freedom through Christ. So as we talk about this, um, we live in an experience of people who've given their lives and we thank you. And I want you to remember next, uh, tomorrow as we celebrate Memorial Day here in the States, thank God for those who've gone before you. You all have stories. I've shared some of my stories with you. You have all stories of people you know, a relative, a father, a mother who served our country. Thank them and thank God for them as we celebrate this as, as a country. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was committed to this type of freedom, this spiritual freedom that Christ has set us free And Paul called the church in Galatia to uh, live in this freedom. He went there and he promoted the gospel. And the gospel is the simple news is this. That God loves you. And that God gave his life for you. And everything that you've done to offend him, he has paid the price through Jesus Christ on the cross. So it's not in what you've What you're doing that saves you. It's only what Christ has done. And the gospel says it's a free gift. The gospel says you're a whole lot worse off with God than you ever could imagine. But you're a whole lot more loved than you could ever dream. Because God, in the person of Jesus Christ, came down and lived a life you could not. Lived in perfection. Died a death that would finally and fully satisfy the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And then rose from the grave to give you and me eternal life if we would simply receive it. The gospel is all about the work of God. And Paul preached this to people steeped into religious thought in a pluralistic, secular world that basically said, whatever your way is to God, you know, whatever way you want to go, that's okay. You just do it because sincerity gets you in. Good works to get you in. And Paul said, no, it's not in your works. It's only in the work of Christ. Believe him, trust him, follow him. Well, he preached this to the churches in Galatia and they loved it and they turned to Christ and the gospel was advancing beyond all all speculation. It was advancing in the lives of people and he left to spread the gospel further and false teachers came in and they said, okay, that sounds good, but in reality, that can't be that good. And so, therefore, you need to keep the law in there. If you're Jewish, you need to keep 
being circumcised. And if you're not Jewish, you need to be circumcised to be in a Christian group. And you need to follow the law and be obedient to the law. A man is justified by the law. And Paul's, Paul heard this false doctrine being promoted and people moving back into being slaved, enslaved by religion. And he writes, you can see it from the first letter of, his, of, of this letter to the churches in Galatia. He goes, I am amazed at how quickly you're deserting the one who saved you. Stop this. Stop this. Come back to grace. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so he called them back to it. And, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing that whatever you're enslaved to this morning, whatever you're dealing with, that you're stuck with, that you're wondering, you know, why don't I have joy in my life right now? Why in... I mean, I go to church all the time, but I don't live with this freedom. I'm going to guess it's not circumcision this morning, okay? It's, that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with other issues. Some of us are dealing with legalism. That picture of self-righteousness that we are constantly comparing our goodness with the people around us. Some of you may even thought, I'm going to church today, not like my neighbor. They're golfing. And you, you know, you do us and them kind of comparison, which robs you of freedom, the freedom that Christ has come to give you. Others of us are, um, are trying to be free, but we're just caught. Some of us are caught with alcohol. Some of us are caught with a chemical addiction. Some of us are caught in porn. And we go, I mean, it's eating our soul out, we feel. That we love Jesus or we want to love Jesus, but we've got that. We can't seem, to, can't seem to kick that out of our lives. It just keeps on coming back and we wonder, man, I'm just enslaved. Others of us are dealing with anger and rage. It just wells up and goes, man, why can't I, why can't I be free from this? Or gossip. Some of us have worry and fear. And it's moved us to be negative, to question and to be skeptical about everything in our lives. And instead of bolstering confidence in the people around us, we are always questioning them. And it's causing havoc. And we're not living in this freedom. And yet we can even come to church week after week and still not live in this freedom. Some of us are hurt and we're frustrated. Someone, something has happened in our lives where we're hurt. We couldn't get over that hurt. Some of you have been hurt by a church. Some of you have been hurt by a pastor. So every time I get up to speak because I'm a pastor, you're questioning. You're looking at afar that the rules don't apply to you. The word doesn't apply to you. And you don't feel free. So it's left you passive, tearing down rather than building up. What's stolen your freedom today? What is it? We all have our topics. We all have our areas. We all have our issues. And the hope that I want to give you is that Christ has come to set you free. He has. If you'll simply allow him to set you free and live the way he's called you to live. Not with religious rules and regulations, but a life of freedom. Wanting to follow him. And so as we do that, let's read what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, to which he called the church. It struggled with a different issue, but the same heart that we do today. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to read verses 13 through 15. Read it along with me. It says this. 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And then let's move down to verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out so that you're not consumed by another. Paul's going to talk to us about three ways we have pursued freedom. And actually, they're just three ways we have gone back into enslavement. The, the one way that we've gone back and that the church there was is they saw that the gospel was free and the work of Christ was done that was free for them. But they thought, no, I still got to measure up. I still got to perform. So there's that performance base. And then there's another group who goes, wow, we've got freedom. And they cast off everything, including God. And they go, since I've got fire insurance, I can live however I want to. And so I can just charge my sins on the visa card of grace and just go back there and do whatever I want because, hey, I'm in. I'm in the club so I can live however I want to. And Paul says, you don't understand grace if that's how you're living. And he calls us back, calls us back to a defined purpose, a defined direction for our lives. And you know what? He says the choice to be free is going to be influenced by some things. Throughout this book, he's going to say it's it's based on, number one, two foundations. One that you have a choice with. One that's true, the other that's false. And I go, okay, well, isn't true and false what's true and false? Isn't that subjective to each person its own? And Christianity says, no, truth is objective. Truth was given from a truth source, God, given to us. And that truth source is the word. He's given to us his word that we're to find who he is and how to follow him and what he's all about. See, if we disconnect from the scriptures, if we didn't disconnect from the authority of God's word, guess what? We disconnect to our own little perception, our own little definition. And therefore, we make truth subjective and therefore it's whatever whatever you want to believe, as long as you're sincere. And I'll just be honest with you, that doesn't, that doesn't set you free. Because you can't free yourself from the problem of yourself. You can't save yourself. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all deeply and profoundly affected by sin in our lives. And we can't save ourselves. The issue is not in us. the, The solution is not in us. It has to come from God. And Paul says, that's the basic foundation. Truth or error. Secondly, there's two conditions. One performance and the other grace. You see, Paul was really confronting them and saying, look, you're living your life back in performance. You're trying to perform. You're trying to do all the right things. And the reality is you need to start resting in grace. Some of us have come from those backgrounds, those backgrounds, uh, religious backgrounds. There, you thought you had to be good enough, where you thought, I'm going to church, therefore God's impressed with that. And I'm not swearing. I didn't swear that day when that guy cut in front of me. So I'm really doing well. And we look at our walk with Christ based on our performance. And performance is exhausting. Grace is relieving. Because grace says that none of us are any better. 
Performance says we're measuring up and I'm either in or I'm out. I'm accepted or I'm rejected based on my works. Grace says you're accepted. No question asked. You're accepted by God. We have to live by grace if we're truly going to be set free. There's also two motivations. One is, it, one is exhausting. The other is liberating. You see, if you follow a religious system where it's your personal responsibility to save yourself and prove yourself before God, all your confidence, all your confidence will be welled up in what you've done. And on a good day, you'll feel really good that God is proud of you. Great job. And on a day where you mess up, you will go, God, how can you love me? Man. Or you'll compare. And you'll go, well, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that person. And as long as we have that person in our life and bolster up our, our confidence based on that people, you, we can't love. See, one's exhausting. The other is liberating. And then finally, two destinations. One is destruction and the other is eternal life. See, we're accountable to God and we're saved only through the work of Christ, not through our own works. And if we're believing in our own works, we stand condemned before God because none of us can be good enough. But if we're trusting in the work of Christ, we have eternal life because God saves us. Sounds odd, doesn't it? It's what determines and defines biblical Christianity amidst all the other religious structures of the world. I was talking to a friend recently about this. He says, what makes Christianity better? I said, I don't know that it's better. I mean, in an arrogant, self-righteous kind of way. But I believe it's very, very different from all the other religious structures. All the other religious structures said they had a founder who basically says, do these things And whatever God there is will look down and say, you're good enough. Biblical Christianity says there's absolutely no way you can save yourself. That's why God had to come down and live the perfect life you could not live. And die on a cross to pay the price as the perfect life. The perfect sacrifice who gave us forgiveness and then rose again from the dead and gives us eternal life. See, that's the difference. And, and the only way we can truly have freedom is when this side of the cross, we look back to the cross and we allow God to declare that freedom in our lives. So let me just add, you know, as we move forward from here, what is this freedom and how do we live in it? Because that's what we want, don't we? We want to be people who move beyond a religious structure into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Well, there's three things I want you to remember about freedom. What freedom Jesus Christ has given all of us. And the first one is this. In Christ, we're free to receive grace. In Christ, we're free to receive grace. Look at verse 13 again. It says, folks, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, grace is God's unmerited favor, isn't it? Grace is God treating us far better than we deserve. Grace, we deserve judgment. We deserve the wrath of God. But grace says God gives us love and forgiveness. Why does God do that? See, that's the question. Why does God give us this love and this grace? Why? Because he's a loving and merciful God. It's not based on anything you've ever done. 
It's not based on your performance. God doesn't look at your life and think about what you could be or who you might be and save you because of that. He doesn't look at your family background. He doesn't look at your church attendance. He doesn't look at your giving pattern. He doesn't look at your good works or your bad works and hold that against you. He loves you, all of us, profoundly. And as a result of that, we're freed. We're freed to no longer have to perform but to receive grace. You know, that sets my heart free, doesn't it? Some of you have grown up in homes where it's performance-based relationships where don't tick off dad. And dad was a guy of rage. And so you know these environments. You just, kids, just be quiet and let dad operate. And don't tick him off. You think about your relationship with God. So many religious structures in our world today say don't tick God off. You take him off, he's going to get you. Something bad happened to you? Look, look in the back. What did you, there was some point that God's getting even with you. Don't live like, that doesn't breed freedom in your life. That constantly breeds fear with you looking over your back saying, and I hear it often, what have I done to deserve this? We say that when we live with performance. Because we think God's up there rewarding us every time we do a really good thing and punishing us every time we do something bad. And that's why we've got to come back to the cross. It was at the cross that my life and yours was freed from performance. You and I can't be good enough. Only Jesus was good enough. You and I can't do. Jesus has already done it. You and I should stop trying to impress God and start trusting in Jesus. See, this is a game changer. Some people, though, will take this and abuse grace. And that's why Paul says here, freedom, this freedom that we're given is from sin, not freedom to sin. We talked about that earlier, didn't we? We don't just keep charging on the visa card of grace. We don't just bolster our confidence on hell insurance. We... We live in the confidence that we really have been set free. We've been set free from sinful patterns in our lives. We've been set free from ourselves, which is a huge thing for me to get, a, get my mind around. You see, I grew up in the church, and I grew up in a fairly legalistic church. And I did receive the gospel in this church, so I thank God for that church. But I also started comparing my life at an early age with people who were not like me, who didn't believe like me. And I started feeling superior to everyone else in the world. And it was a nightmare of a life and I didn't experience freedom. When I graduated from high school, I knew everything I didn't do and very little of what I should. So my life was basically sin management. If I can just not do those things, I'll be okay. And I had no direction apart from sin evasion. And that doesn't give you freedom. It breeds just a new form of bondage. On the other hand, it also bred, since I have Jesus, I can do whatever I want. And I remember talking to a friend after I graduated from high school. He said, hey, I'm going to have some fun over the next five years. I'll still be living. Everything's going to be okay. And I'll come back to the Lord once I get married and have kids. <laughs> I thought, what are you talking about, Willis? What kind of way to live? And I, I really said that. I said, you have no guarantee that in the future you'll have a heart for Christ if you abuse the grace he's given you. You don't. You have no future. Your heart or, or any confidence, your heart will want him again. 
if you walk away now. And so the, the call is, let's not abuse it. This is freedom from sin, moving us away from that fear of performance and into the confidence of grace. In Christ, we're free to receive grace. Secondly, in Christ, we're free to love. Free to love. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Christ has given us the freedom to love him and to love each other. And, and the answer to our, our key issue in this passage is, is right here. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Folks, we love ourselves. I'm sorry to break that news to you. You are a lover of yourself. Why do I know that? Because hi, my name is Joe and I am a lover of myself. I wake up every day knowing exactly how I feel, what I want, how people can be sensitive to me, how people can serve me. And if I don't turn my life daily over to Jesus and step down off of my little selfish platform, myself will be ruled by selfishness, not by the love of Jesus. I know that. I mean, I get ticked off many times when someone cuts in front of me in a roundabout and it delays my arrival here at work by four seconds. And that ruins my whole morning. Why? Because it's more important that I'm comfortable than me giving grace. See, those things will destroy us. There's times when I can be an angry old man at 47 years of age. And my wife looks at me like, there's a monster here. (laughs) See, we love ourselves. That's why we're called. That's why Jesus calls us out outside of ourselves. So we're no longer trapped in just imploding into self-gratification and self-glorification with our lives. We're called to be set free to love people beyond ourselves. Folks, Wall Street and Hollywood... And government, folks, it's not working to love ourselves. And you don't even have to look outside of yourself. If we just look in the mirror, self-glorification's not working. We were created to love something more than ourselves. You see, in Christ, we're free to serve others. Not free to be selfish. That's that whole picture. See, as long as I'm constantly comparing my life with yours and arriving at, depending the topic that I want to pursue, me better than you, my beliefs stronger and and more purer than you, and my actions much more committed than you. I mean, I got here and I entered this room before the first song, not after the third song. You know, I see that. And I can see, I serve here. I don't just watch things happen like you. As long as we do that. I'm sorry I offended you. Um, <laughs> it's the last time someone goes to the bathroom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're going to take that out of the video this week. As long as I do that, I can't love. I can't love. As long as I'm viewing myself as better than you, I'm just going to tear you down. 
And you know, that, that will destroy freedom in your life. Because we can easily be trapped into loving ourselves at the expense of loving God and others. And so even inside of the church, it comes out like this. What can you do to serve me? Why aren't you taking care of my children? Why aren't you doing this for me and my family? The other church we went to did. Yours doesn't. And we get into that. It's all about me. That's why we're called. What are we called to do here? Serve one another. See, the remedy for self-love is service. We're called into serving. I have to tell you that there's one week during the summer that has radically transformed the lives of my two older sons, James and Jack. And, and that's Camp Barnabas in Purdy, Missouri. And they're getting ready to go there again. But the first year was fascinating. They went and they served children with cerebral palsy where they come alongside these children and for 23 and a half hours during the day, they're with them. And they help put them to bed at night. They help wake them up in the morning and get them dressed and use the facilities and take them and feed them and clean up after them and uh, enjoy the whole day. And you would wonder, you know, camping experiences. What do we focus on camping experience? Fun, right? And we go, how can I have fun? How can I ride on the zip line and go down the water slide and be with all my friends and meet the girl of my dreams? And we can do all this in a camping environment. So as a parent, I'm kind of going, doesn't look like much fun to me. And yet, if you trace it, and it's not just my kids, if your child has gone to serve at Camp Barnabas, you'll see it's radically transformed them in how they love, how they're willing to step down off their platform and serve. Some of your best moments are times when you've done that with your life. You've stepped down and you've served others. Why, why does this just fill your soul? Why? Because it models Jesus stepping down from the play, praise and riches of heaven into the poverty of this world and loving people and living for people and dying for people. You see that, that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. See, whenever we align our lives with the love of Christ, guess what we find? Freedom. Freedom. You align your marriage to the pattern of this world where you love me and I'll love you back. You love me 50% and I'll love you the other 50%, which in, in reality is no, no one loves me as much as I love myself. So if you can't love me that much, I'm not going to love you back. And it's, we wait for the other person to love us before we love them back. And, and so marriages just wait and they implode and they die because we're following the wrong pattern and we're enslaved by it. So folks, Jesus came to set us free to love. To love him? Why? Because everything I have is because he gave it to me. Everything I stand is because he worked for me. I owe him, I mean, I owe him everything. I could never pay him back and I don't try to perform. I get to follow him. Which is the final thing he's called us to do. And it's final thing that he's given us freedom. In Christ we're free to follow not out of fear, but out of life. It's life-giving to follow the pattern of Jesus in our lives. Here it says, 
Brothers, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Strong words. But the church in Galatia were fighting for this freedom. And, and then one group said, if it's not performance, you're not in. And they were devouring one another. It's kind of the picture of these wild dogs fighting for a carcass. They're just tearing apart grace. It's interesting, the whole concept of grace and love in the life of Paul. Because in Acts chapter 9, it describes Paul as Paul was breathing out murderous threats for the disciples. He was out to destroy them. And the gospel of Jesus Christ set him free. And he was someone whose life was radically changed. And he followed Christ with his first and his best. And he called people to follow. And this is where we're free to obey, not free to run wild. Some think we just kind of just follow our own pattern of, of love and follow our own pattern to just cast off God's model of selfless, sacrificial love in order to love people their own way. But if we want really a good proof text of this, look at the 1960s. Because in the 60s, people just said, all we need is love. And so we just cast off whatever feels good. Do it! And because of that, what do we have? We have a lot of sexual relations, but we don't have a lot of commitment. Why? Because I don't feel like committing when it's a difficult day. I feel like doing that just because the sun shines out today. And we want a proof text on this. Let's look in the halls of our junior high schools. Commitment is not really there, but feeling is running high. And you know what? That's why we always have to come back to follow the pattern of Jesus in our lives. Love is going to be selfless. Love is going to be sacrificial. If you are here and you're longing for this love, you found it in Christ. If you are here and you want to be set free in this love, follow Jesus. Because the cross has freed us to follow him. That's why if you're, if you're interested in a relationship, the best thing you could do is love Jesus passionately with your first and your best. Because here's the deal. If he's going to bring someone into your life, how are you going to find that person? And who do you want? You want someone who loves him more than he loves or she loves you. Why? Because then she or he will love you the way God loves you. Yeah, that's what you want. You want someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. I know it's flattering to be loved more than God, but that will not sustain a relationship. We have to have people who are willing to follow Jesus on how he loves, not how you feel. And so we're called to learn from his love and follow his pattern of love in our own lives rather than run wild and just pursue our own little way versus following God. You see, the cross has truly set us free. And if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. So we're freed to receive grace. Hey, if you're here and you've grown up in a religious structure that's based on performance and you're always wondering, am I good enough to get in? Let this be a declaration of truth in your life. Jesus was good enough for you. You've got to trust in him. 
turn away from yourself and your own little structure of inner out with him and receive his grace. Simply by faith say, God, thank you that it's not up to me. It's only up to you. Thank you that you were perfect and you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that. And I turn away from trying. I'm starting to trust. Help me to love you. Help me to love others. Help me to follow you as I love people in this world today. You see, that is the beginning of freedom. If you are here and this side of the cross, if, if I could just look at the wake of relationships and the wake of experiences in your life, if I could just look at that, what would I see? Would I see you still trying to enslave your life with performance, with a self-righteous attitude that judged others and rejected others and protected your life from others rather than loving others? And if that's you, let me just ask you, you've got to step away from that again and live by grace. You have to stop comparing your life with others and start living your life for Christ. And if you're here and you just kind of thought of, have been living on your feelings and just been enslaved by your feelings, it's time for you to follow. It's time for you to follow God. Whether you... Whether you feel like it or not. Because you realize there's joy in obedience. Because you're freed. You're no longer enslaved by works. This is the relationship God calls us to be free. And I just want to call you to it. The greatest joy of my life has been when I have lived and operated in this freedom. I want to call you to that. So let's pray and ask God to free us to live and walk with him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. We thank you just in this pattern in the book of Galatians that you have given us freedom through Christ. So help us all to stand firm and not be slaves again to to sin or even ourselves. Thank you that you set us free And and we realize in that this true freedom that goes beyond whatever we could craft in the area of freedom. Lord, move us to receive your grace, to love, and to follow you. For it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. This morning, as we take our offering, uh, I want to point your attention to a video that is um, a humorous look at uh, God owning everything and giving him your first and your best. And uh, then we'll discuss it. So take a look at this.